Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my co-host who has just recently hit rock bottom, Scott Daly. Wow. Look, you stormed your way back into the prediction game and then got like three wrong in a row. If this isn't rock bottom, I don't know what is. You know what? You know, you're on your own. You can do the rest of the podcast from now on. I'll be here to answer questions and provide some info, but I don't think I'm ever going to use my microphone ever again. This is a weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of peep panic, titanic judo, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, the second longest arc in the book continues with chapters 19.f and 19.10. We start with the elusive imp as she admires the progress of her heartbroken babies and reconnects with a shadowy figure from her past. Then all peep hell breaks loose as Kenzie starts spiraling after losing Tristan and being rejected by Candy. The team stops it before it gets too bad, but Kenzie will be out of commission until the end of the world. With that good news, Victoria starts to think outside the box by putting herself in another box with Amy in it. Her newfound acceptance is put to the test, but the conversation with Amy goes, not bad even though she too declines the invitation to the apocalypse ball matt what'd you think of these two chapters well we get our long-awaited imp interlude which is everything we wanted it to be um we get extremely worried about kenzie which is just the content that i'm here for yes (laughs) um and then we get what feels like pretty much peak uh resolution with amy Um, i mean there might be further beyond this but uh it certainly felt cathartic to me so yeah, um, it did to me too. Um, yeah, gosh, yeah. there's so much to talk about in that section alone, but this is, I think this is going to be a stuffed episode Two like emotional gut punch chapters, one in one direction, one in the other, right? Like there's this really depressing Kenzie thing where, where we like leave Kenzie in this, um, just like really sad place. Mm-hmm. And then we have an Amy chapter and we don't walk away from it like furious with Amy, which is yeah. a very different emotion. <laughs> I'm not used to feeling. Right. I mean, it's also kind of interesting that while Bo has taken one character from us a couple chapters ago and now he's given one back to us in the Imps interlude. Yeah, that's um, true. Brian is the one I'm talking about. I, I know what you mean. Gotcha. I, you mean. Okay. No, I thought you meant Amy. He's given Amy back to us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. You can uh, you can keep her. Yeah, right, right. Um, okay, a quick announcement before we get into the chapters. Uh, the fan art contest with the theme of acceptance is currently open and it will close on March 4th. So please get in your acceptance-themed pieces of parahumans or packed art. Yeah, I mean, we're very possibly on the last fan art contest of Ward, which is crazy. Um, I know I say this every week, but it remains crazy to me. So this is it. This is your last chance to do some Ward fan arting for us. So do it. Or packed. You know, do that too. All right, 19.f. Let's do it. And we are in the imp interlude, finally. 
Yeah, but and before so I'm going to get a little a little nerdy here, Matt, as I'm sure everyone's shocked about. But before we jump into things, I just wanted to at the top just note how much attention um we need to give to how Wildbo is using names in this interlude. Um we've talked about this. I remember a long long time ago, uh three whole years ago we talked in worm about how sometimes taylor would shift from cape name to uh human name (laughs) Mm -hmm. and how uh, how that would maybe indicate changing emotions and and how we feel about certain people and and just usefulness and i think we're seeing that here with this interlude as well i think the most obvious example here is how imp's internal monologue from the very beginning of the chapter calls kenzie peep this was a joke that she told us last week and i loved it to death i think it's the best name ever and i love it i love it i love it but i wanted to dive into it a little further here imp says at the start of this chapter that she's holding on to that name peep for the sake of stubbornness which is extremely extremely aisha right Mm -hmm. but there's implications of this name as well like it means stuff like the meaning of this is multi-layered of course the first being like a peep is just like a quick look at something right it's not that invasive no just 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 a peep it's innocent yeah yeah it's also the noise a small bird would make and of course it's those delicious treats that we put in the microwave when we were children and watch <laughs> them get really really big um but i think overall the the connotation is small vulnerable non-threatening innocent that kind of thing right that is the connotation of this name unless you add like peep show to it and then that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole different thing but let's just move on from that uh, <laughs> The reason I'm bringing all this up is we see a very, like, impactful shift in the narrative point of view for Imp towards Kenzie in this chapter. She goes very deliberately from calling her nothing but peep to calling her lookout from the innocent, vulnerable, childish connotation type name to to the cape name to look out. Right. <laughs> um, so, and, and it's, it's at a very specific time too. Like imp uses the word, word peep right up until Kenzie starts to freak out and all hell breaks loose. Um, and then she switches to look out. And then after that moment, she uses peep only two more times. One is in dialogue after she, everyone manages to calm Kenzie down temporarily and say, yes, you need to go lie down and relax. She uses it there again. And then once more, when she sees Candy um, laying down on the bed with Kenzie, she calls her peep again there. And then, of course, as soon as she sees the shit that's going on there, it's immediately back to lookout. So this is something that feels very, very deliberate in this regard. Yeah, I think that all scans perfectly well. Uh, I, I honestly didn't notice it, but it's one of those things where I don't think Welbo necessarily intends us to notice it. I think it's right. meant to function on us subconsciously, and I think it's really cool. Yeah, and I think think you're 100% right. It's one of those cool writer tricks that some people maybe noticed, some people maybe didn't. Um, But I think it does work regardless because – and it's just because of how innocent that name is, Peep. It's just so cute and funny and innocent and it's like, ah, look, it's little Peep. And then you switch away from that and there's even subconsciously a real change in mood that goes with that. Um, uh, this uh, this discussion is reminding me that Chris basically gave her the name look look out as like a, a mean joke. Yeah, yeah. And then she took it on to make him happy. But like it, it is it is the the connotation that you were kind of indicating there, where it's like, watch out, you know, yeah. she's yeah. Uh, she's gonna explode. Yeah, and, and I mean we can expand this out a little further too. If if we're saying the way in which Aisha refers to people 
name wise is important in this chapter, then we can look at other people. Right. Um, we start the chapter and in imp's internal narrative, she refers to herself as imp until she takes her mask off. And then she refers to herself as Aisha. Mm -hmm. Brian is always Brian. She never calls him Gru. The only time the name Gru is mentioned is via dialogue from other characters. Darlene and Candy are always Darlene and Candy. The, the Cape names syndicate and decadent are not used at all in this chapter. Um, I think, I think chicken little is chicken little and Aiden like back and mm -hmm. forth a little bit there. It's not hugely important. I think the most important one is the peep stuff. That's the one doing the real heavy lifting of the emotional feeling of this chapter. But I do think it is something that se seemingly semi unique to this chapter and, and semi unique to Aisha. Yeah. Like just as an internal measurement of how she feels about certain things. Yeah. I, I, I like that phrase. It's it's like a measurement. It's like a little barometer. Um, I mean, I, I like the, the, this lines up with the idea that at one point she she thinks that Kenzie is a, is a bit of an unknown quality uh, yeah, quantity yeah. rather, whereas she she knows these other kids, and and so she's not going to think of them by their kind of slightly uh, distance imposing cape name. I mean, right. I, I think Chicken Little she thinks it's a cute nickname in addition to being his, his cape name. So sure. I, that, that that's why I think she would use that name. Yeah, um, and uh, and it's it's like she's trying to force a cute nickname on Kenzie, but um. Uh, then retreats back to look out when that doesn't uh, feel right anymore. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that reminds me that the name Kenzie is only used four times in this chapter at all. Like this is the mm -hmm. chapter in which we finally like get our holy shit, Kenzie's losing it chapter. And her name is only used four times, mm -hmm. twice in dialogue. Candy says her name twice. And then the other two times are when um, Aisha herself says Kenzie. And this is right about the time where she's, referring to her as a lookout. Um, mm -hmm. It is never in any of the peep times. It's, it's right about those times. So mm -hmm. very interesting, right? I mean, it's small stuff, not hugely important, but uh, doing work in the background regardless. Yeah, I love it. So as we get into the chapter, Imp is observing the heartbroken, torturing Kinsey with French fries. <laughs> uh, Imp intervenes without actually revealing herself whenever they start to cross a line. And apparently she's been doing this a lot, backing off and monitoring them when they aren't aware of her and then perhaps stepping in to give them a mysterious dose of negative Pavlovian conditioning as needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love this so much. We get this little like vignette of how things are going amongst the group of graduates. These are the people that that Imp refers to as the ones that have earned the slightly longer leash, right? Uh -huh. They've earned a little bit more slack. And so she's there. She's monitoring them, but she's not really stepping in until the moment that she has to like uh like one of them shoots is trying to shoot hot sauce into Kenzie's mouth while she's opening her mouth to get the, uh, the French fry. So like, yeah, I mean, it's just this little vignette and she's stepping in when she can, or when she feels like she needs to. Um, and that's kind of, that's what her role in this group has shifted to now, kind of in the background and stepping in when things escalate. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause it reminds me very much of how we started her first interlude, which is actually her, uh, sort of doing the exact same thing with her mom and and uh, whatever other people are in her mom's house at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of like standing there trying to get them to to listen. But here it's actually working is the, dif is the difference, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I just thought it was so, I mean, this is a lot funnier too. Uh, th that scene oh, yeah. was depressing. This is hilarious, especially when she grabs the, the she squirts the hot sauce all over, um, I guess, Arrow's gloves and, yeah. 
Arrow just like blinks at them. She's but, confused. Yeah, confused, but doesn't it doesn't realize how it happened. But I, I love this idea that like you get a little negative hit of conditioning every time you do something bad, and you don't know where it comes from. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, it's really it's really clever. Um, I I really like it. Yeah. So as she's um, ruminating, she thinks fondly of poor Samuel, the one kid who she could rely on as a calming presence and who she could talk to. And she misses him. And, and she also just misses not being able to ever relax. Yeah, I mean, she's she's really tense right now. She's constantly nervous um, and she's like removed from things. Right. Like there's something really tragic about this whole thing right like this is a very sad chapter and it's a very sad chapter because of what's going on with Kenzie but I think there's some real sadness for Imp here too um I mean she's this person that was like the perpetually ignored person that got a power that just kind of reinforced that and she's putting herself out of the picture more and more she's stepping in less and less she's less of an active presence in all these people's lives and more of just like a a a ghost (laughs) hanging out behind them like it's it's less of like it's not it's she doesn't have as much of a relationship with them anymore she's just there making sure they don't go too far and like in these moments she's talking to her i mean she's talking to them at times too but she's also just talking to herself out loud knowing that they're not going to hear it but even that little bit might push them but still it's it's a one-sided conversation even if it does succeed in pushing them towards something they're not responding they're not engaging with her she's alone yeah, it is really lonely. Like, I mean, we're going to see in a minute, even when Brian shows up, there's it's very bittersweet because yeah, um, he is not really able to provide the connection that she's missing here um, yeah. for his own reasons. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's funny because because overall I didn't get an impression like, oh, Imp's in a really bad spot. Maybe she's going to tighten. Like, that's not that's not where no. I thought we were taking this. I, but no. but it is it is morose and and, and sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, it strikes me as very imp-like for her suffering, and maybe suffering's too strong of a word, but her difficulties and the things she's struggling with to almost take a backseat even in her own point of view chapter, right? Like it just seems very fitting with, with who she is and how her power works and how all that works, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense that she has that relationship with herself too. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Never thought of it that way, actually. That's, that's really good. So Imp watches Juliet make fun of Roman about being a weeb, um, and then Juliet <laughs> freezes him while he's swallowing, uh, attempting to murder him for calling her uh, an anime word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, it's hard to say who's in the wrong here. Yeah, it's a real it's a real Sophie's choice as far as I'm concerned. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> in don't that know. you want both of them to die or what? Well, um, anyway. Uh, you need to read Sophie's choice. I guess so. The tenders kick out all the heartbroken because they are being ridiculous, but -hmm. not before another skirmish breaks out over the french fries. In the end, Imp isn't actually forced to reveal herself at all, and and as they leave, she thinks to herself, even a year ago, the situation would have been drastically different. Mm -hmm. And she reflects on one such instance where, like, they just were having a pizza party, which ended in in a riot and multiple uses of Candy's indulgence power. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, some of them still can't eat pizza. Yeah, this this just seems like sort of an innocuous little scuffle compared to what things apparently used to be like. Right. And I think that's really important because we see we see that this entire disagreement over French fries almost comes to this like all out fight. And we're like, Jesus Christ. And then the next sentence is like, 
they were such good kids, all of them. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) But then the text goes on to explain kind of what it means by that, that like, first of all, she didn't need to step into this conflict and resolve it. They did that themselves. Um, And then she compares it to a time not too long ago, relatively, where this would have ended much, much, much worse. And it's this real moment of hope for these kids. And I really like it. I really like it as this moment of like, look how far they've come. Like these, these were, these kids were in a bad place and they've come so, so far. But I I do think there's like a tinge of sadness with this as well. Like, and this is not textual. I like, I got this feeling through reading this chapter of like this real pre empty nest syndrome that imp might be going on here. And there's nothing in here that, that explicitly supports this, but this has been Imp's entire purpose since even before the end of Worm, right? Alec died and she took this upon herself, mm-hmm. taking care of these kids, making sure these kids were going to be okay. That is what she's committed herself to doing. And that purpose is nearing an end. Like they're, they're doing so much better than they were a year before. If the world doesn't end, okay, that's a big if, but if the world doesn't end, there's going to be a time not too long in the future where they're not going to need her anymore. Um, and what then, right? Like, what do you do? You've devoted yourself to this thing in the entire time. What, what is after that? And yeah, I don't think she knows the answer to that. That's really interesting. Cause it, it, it hadn't occurred to me in, in those words, but definitely there's a wistfulness to, to this where she's, mm-hmm. she's thinking about like, oh, they're growing up and maybe Roman's going to be a hero. And th- these kind of thoughts mm-hmm. they, they do tend along the lines of like, uh, little, little birds flying away, fl- flying yep. out of my nest. Yep. yep. It's yeah. And, and Imp really is somebody who, who needs these connections. Like I think, I think her kind of, uh, jocular personality covers the fact that she really does, uh, need, uh, human connection. Right. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like she's always, she's always joking. And, and so it's easy to think like, ah, she's, she's always fine, but like, that's just how she is. That's right. That's, that's not really telling you how she's doing on the inside. If, if anything, it's like, she gets more jokey, the worse she's doing. Right. And I think that's one thing we'll see here is that like so much of her, so much of her internal monologue is not the character we've seen throughout this entire book, right? Like mm-hmm. she's still funny in this chapter and there's, there are funny things she does, but like her, her, the way she thinks, the way she moves through, through things, it's very like deliberate and aware and mature um, yeah. in a way that the, the her that comes out of her dialogue is not, um, is very much like classic <laughs> imp. Um, and I think you see more than ever how that is uh, a shield for her. Right. I like this idea that, that, Victoria has a very low opinion of her because I mean, why wouldn't like, why would she think that she's as, as, as thoughtful as she actually is? Yeah. Um, yeah. True. One, one thing about the heartbroken that I wanted to mention is just, uh, as you know, it kind of feels like we're nearing the end of the story. And I think like just with a certain level of expectations born of like tropes, I thought the direction we were going to go with the heartbroken was like, okay, we build them up. We, 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 we have them as a background element. We show how scary they are. And then this escalates to some really terrible thing happening. Yeah. And what's interesting is that that sort of happened in the scene where they were going to lynch Kenzie. Mm-hmm. But then that didn't actually happen because they were able to be constrained by, you know, a combination of the the, the positive relationship they had with 
with people who anchored them in insanity and also kind of the better angels of their nature. Um, sure. And 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 now kind of uh, here here we have Imp talking about how much progress they've made and how things used to be so much worse. And it's like this thing that kind of tropes ha- had led me to believe would be a negative and scary um, uh, feature of the story has actually turned out to be positive and hopeful. And yeah. I, I th- almost see like a microcosm of a lot of stuff that's happened in Ward in The Heartbroken. Yeah, I, that's a fantastic point. I love that. I love the way you framed that. Um, I, I, I think if you had asked me 10 arcs ago, what is the Kenzie finally blows up and goes too far chapter going to circle around, I would have said Chicken Little and Darlene like a hundred percent like that's it's just like that seems like where we were going and that seems like the perfect payoff of you're exactly right well what seemed to be set up for for a long time but it it doesn't go there it goes somewhere else and it, it is it is actually independent of those two um mm-hmm. she's she's moved on to a new person um yeah. but again that is candy is still dealing with her own shit but i think she, candy deals we'll, we'll get we'll get to that we're jumping ahead yeah um but yeah, no, I think that I think you have a really great point there. I I love I love the heartbroken. I love yeah. that. All right, yeah, let's let's move on because there's plenty plenty more to talk about. Sure. So Brian shows up in the hallway looking for Aisha and Imp immediately puts her foot in her mouth by <laughs> mocking the skull image that's part of his face now. Yeah. Um again we have an instance of a flock member who's being a bit off kilter, a, a bit at odds with their own identity. And again, Brian seems to mostly remember the bad. And uh we know that Brian has a lot of bad to remember. Yeah, I mean, Brian's role for almost the second half, the entire second half of Worm was exclusively the, ah, oh, man, guy, <laughs> um, in which horrible, terrible, bad shit just kept happening to him. He was like the reign of Worm, except Rain could deal with shit, and Brian couldn't. Yeah, he was he was destroyed by shit. Yeah. And, and now, so yeah, I think it's especially sad for him that the bad stuff seems to be the only thing that's left. It's a real, it's a real bummer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so deliciously and terribly ironic that the skull is part of his face now um again like the motorcycle helmet skull mask thing that brian had going on even the name grew always struck me as this like super edgy front that brian was putting up to hide the true insecurities he had underneath it all in the same way that his power hides everything underneath it and so it is a bit tragic that that mask is literally him now that 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 thing that that shield that mask he put on is just his face it's him that's him now yeah bummer it is and i mean i even when we first commented on it i thought it was interesting how it's like well well, now this thing just marks him and makes him stand out whereas Mm -hmm. he is all about hiding like you said yeah um it's really interesting Mm -hmm. at one point aisha says something like the mark that um the mark that uh, Valkyrie had given uh yeah and 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 I, and I was like interesting I I just kind of assumed that like like the the clones like weird stuff happened with their bodies because power's bullshit I, I didn't think that Valkyrie had done it on purpose I was just wondering if you had a take on that yeah I mean I, I guess to be honest with you my take on it was just like a, a a choice of words and not necessarily that like Valkyrie chose that like this is going to be your image that it's just it was just a a result of Valkyrie gave him life. And as part of that life, he got skull face. Yeah. That's, that's my take as well. Yeah. Uh, Perrion and Rachel watch all of this unfold, um, from the sidelines 
foil is apparently still being a baby about the whole flesh golem thing. Yeah, she, she really needs to just get over that. Like, was it was it that big of a deal? Come on. Come it is. On. It's interesting because, like, at the time, I just saw that as like, oh, OK, yeah, this is, uh, you know, the, the characters in the background continuing to have lives and making decisions and the story fe- being, you know, feeling real and so forth. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh, I bet this was like like intentionally done at least in part to get foil out of the picture because it seems to me like part of what's happening in these couple of chapters is like useful tools that Victoria wanted to use are being taken out of her hands. Yeah. I like that. So. I think, I think, I think there's some truth to that. Um, that is very, it's <laughs> very like reducing the book down to <laughs> mechanics, but no, I, 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 I could, I could see that. Yeah. Sure. Well, I don't mean to say it in a way that's reductive. I, I think, again it's it it was doing the thing that it appeared to be doing but it was also doing this sure 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 yeah uh so i like how the scene works mechanically just to (laughs) like step back from this dialogue scene where where brian arrives because there are by my count five people intermittently joining and then leaving the conversation ultimately leaving aisha and brian alone um and it it's it's all just um it's all just done very smoothly to the to the point where you don't actually notice like like you you notice in the sense that you understand what's happening but it doesn't it, it's not distracting it feels very organic the way the way the scene evolves yeah no i i, I totally agree with that um I, I do like this is to me the part of the chapter where the extremely introspective and mature aisha really came to the forefront in my head um like it's it's been a while like literally years since you and I have read Aisha's interlude chapter in the first book. Um, but I remember enough of it to, to recognize her here as such a different kind of person, like still the same person, but a, a much uh, stronger, more mature version of that person. Um, yeah. She's, she's been practicing managing people for years now. So, yeah. um, and, and even though he's feeling, you know, he's he's standoffish, which is very normal for him. He's also off kilter because of the whole being dead thing. Um, we really see her shine, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I love like how she just looks at her and Brian and just kind of breaks down their issues. Like like how Brian went off with his dad and be- and became a faux hard ass because that's what his dad wanted. And and she went off with her mom and she learned street smarts from her mom because that's what she had. But the thing they never learned from either of them was how to communicate, how to support each other, how to, to be siblings in that mm-hmm. kind of way. I think she says here, they missed out on one key component and, and look, Imp is a very silly person. She, she laugh, she makes me laugh constantly and she makes inappropriate, hilarious jokes. She does it here, right? Like right after the super introspective moment, she was like, you want to hug big bro or a French kiss? I, I'll draw my hand at that. And she's like being so inappropriate that, that, uh, Perrion has to be like, hey, stop. <laughs> He's mm. obviously s- struggling. Stop. But yeah, I, even that I thought was great because he 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 reacts positively to that. He's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, at least at least she's always the same. She's the same as she always was. And yeah, um, it makes you wonder even if, if her crossing the line there wasn't like a calculated move to to be like, I'm just going to be silly. And because that's maybe what he needs from me right now. Well, um, I mean, I mean, it, it, I think that's precisely what it is. I mean, she, she, she does this long, like thick paragraph discussion about how, why they both have their issues, where those issues came from and the thing that they're missing. And then the next thing she does is, do you want to hug big brother? And that's like, 
she she plays it off as jokey because she's imp, but that's also the thing she feels the one thing that they have missing is this this ability to support each other and and like real like be siblings mm-hmm. um and and so she plays it off jokey because she's imp, but that's what she's trying to do here, and then um she takes it further because she's uncomfortable because she's mm-hmm. imp <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah um and yeah i mean I, I think there is like a there is like a war a warming part to the fact that brian recognizes her inappropriateness and goes ah that's the sister i know but there's a sadness to me there too because it's like oh that's that's all you think that's just what you think your sister is like there's so much more going on underneath there buddy um and he yeah. hasn't seen that right i mean i i do wonder I- as far as I know, the answer to this question is no. I was going to say, is is there anyone, is there any real confidant for Amp? I mean, I guess she kind of says that uh, Samuel was, unfortunately. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's super sad uh, yeah, for him. It's making actually, me sad. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I don't, how close, I mean, like, I know she works very closely with Lisa, but how close is she with Lisa? We, I don't actually know. I, I mean, the fact that she's a non-presence in the Imp point of view chapter seems to indicate not, I mean, I, there's an excuse for why she's a non-presence, but I, that's, that was also an authorial choice, right? So um, maybe yeah. not not that much. I kind of feel like um, she cares about Tattletale a lot, but yeah, yeah. but that doesn't translate to she can confide in Tattletale. Right, yeah. Uh, that's my right. feeling based on my gut. My gut yeah. tells me. I like your gut. Okay, good. Um, I uh, got to pull this line out. Sure, go ahead. She, she could count the people he'd extended any measure of vulnerability to on one hand, and she wasn't one of those people. Of the two more important ones, one was gone and the other was dead. Ah, <sighs> sorry to hear that Cozen is dead then. Yeah, yeah, rest in peace, Cozen. Enjoy your totally alive time on Earth A, Taylor. Yep. Um, I mean, I think, look, <laughs> this is fun, and I think Wildbo's teasing us a little bit here, but... I mean, I think the other thing they're doing is in order to protect Taylor, they basically decided to just be like, yeah, totally dead. Right. Like mm-hmm. that certainly makes sense. And to point to a point where it's been like so ingrained, if she's alive, I'm saying if she's alive, then in order to protect her, they've just gone with the Taylor's dead narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's not dead. I won't accept it. Sure, Matt. Sure. I'm always right about these things. That's true. Lately. <laughs> I got I got two right. <laughs> uh, we also get this part where Aisha, like you talked about a little bit earlier, this is where Aisha is talking a- and about Roman and predicts that Roman might go hero one day, but don't tell him that because he might not do it just to spite us. And it's like, oh, look, he's going to be a hero. A little heartbroken, a little hero now. That would be neat, right? Like, be. like she would really have succeeded if, if uh, spe- like Roman, he seems so violent and angry, but like, I think if he just got away from Juliet, he'd be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For some reason, Romeo and Juliet just don't get along. Yeah. It's weird. Seriously. Uh, I kind of love how Candy reacts to, uh, like, she reacts in, like, the normal way at seeing a ghost. Yeah. Like, she recoils and keeps her distance from from Brian. Yeah. I like, <laughs> Imp is kind of like, this is Brian. And she's like, yeah, no, I, I, I know Brian. He's dead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we, like, this is a dead person standing in front yeah, of him. Yeah, I remember him. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's great. Uh, so, of course, um, Candy has come running to get Imp because Kenzie is exploding. Yep. Uh, she's in full fake cheerful mode, maybe like the, the worst of, of this that we've ever seen. 
Uh, she's trying to somehow reconsolidate the data that makes up Tristan so that maybe she can save him. Although mm-hmm. she's she's like missed the window to actually do that effectively. So she's just kind of well, she's she's panicking. She's spiraling. Um, and like like even doing that would be a long shot. It would be well outside of her wheelhouse and and it would probably destroy her to attempt to do it. And she's still decided like, yep, just going to forego sleeping until I do this. Yeah, and I mean, part of me believes that given enough time, she'll figure out a way to do it because that's just what Kenzie's been doing. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really this is like a whirlwind of terrifying, and I love I love the writing here. I love how Wildbo centers on the most uncomfortable. Like her response here is teeny tiny bit of death, <laughs> which yeah. who says that? <laughs> yeah, um, it's just part of making you so so insecure, and then like. And I've been so zeroed in on things that I didn't even see. Not like me, right? Ha ha. And it's actually kind of important that I missed stuff because if I'm going to do anything about it. I need to have been tracking the data's movements through the crystal since 15 minutes ago. Like you can imagine her saying it at that speed with like the ha ha in the middle. And it's just like, like, oh my God, it's terrifying. Yeah, I know. It's, um, uh, I don't know. Like, like while both constructed this character so well and we've had so long to know her that this is just gut-wrenching to see. And, yeah. and it really, like, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of small writing choices that make it clear that this really is the worst we've ever seen her because she's like, uh, like her eyes are like wide and full of tears mm-hmm. and her posture is like super rigid and all this stuff, even as she's keeping her voice like cartoonishly cheerful. Yeah. I mean, what I love most about it is like we saw this moment from the other side, right? We saw this moment from Victoria's point of view and we saw Kenzie just freeze. And I think you and I like just just imagined what was going on on the other side of that camera. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it perfectly lines up. This is exactly what I expected her, how her to react to it. And I think that's just when you can, when you can build a character that acts exactly like you think they would. And in, in a situation like this, I think it's a well-drawn character. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, so I, I like this really nice kind of sweet moment thrown into the middle of this though. Um, the kids are so different. Brian's voice was quiet. Aisha looked back over her shoulder at him. They're helping. They're staying quiet. She nodded. They were good kids. Gosh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. We've come so far with these kids. I I, I think I think this is the part when I was doing my first read through that really made me think back to the moment where we really got to know them and not just them, but know them at their interaction with imp, which was that epilogue chapter, right? Mm -hmm. Which at the time to me was just like, Oh, this is like just a really fun and funny, like vignette that I just got a real kick out of like, Mm -hmm. Oh, look at imp and these crazy kids that she's using to teach these bad guys a lesson. Yes. Mm -hmm. Look at, yeah, it was great. Um, but it's become such an, a key emotional pivot point of the book. I mean, that, that lines up exactly with what you just said, how these kids encapsulate a lot of what this book is trying to do just in how, how they're going through and succeeding and failing. Um, and I, I would never have expected that. I never, I never would have expected imp and the heartbroken to be something so emotionally key to what this book is trying to do, but I'm so happy that it's there. Yeah, it's interesting because in that epilogue, it, it it was there was there is a lot of comedy to it. The the idea it's like Imp and her little band of devils, mm-hmm. um, roaming the countryside, righting wrongs. But um, and and there's been a lot of comedy in this book too, I think. But but also a lot of gravity has has come to the fore. It, like we we've actually been confronted with the idea of 
okay, well, Heartbroken was a monster and we get to see their, their horrible, sickening trigger events Yeah, and, yeah. and all of this stuff. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's not so comedic anymore, is it? Um, uh, but, and then we get to see them, you know, recover from that. And that's beautiful. It is. It really is. So as we get back to Kinsey, uh, she's physically crumpling uh, as the surrounding friends and allies try to coax her and persuade her to just take a short rest. And this is just such an electric scene because Kinsey's mm-hmm. on the verge of snapping and lashing out and like her voice and expression are just, you know, off the charts in, in, in her manic affect. Yeah, I think this is one of those extremely visual scenes that I can easily just like block in my head if I just close my eyes and just I can imagine the scene and where everyone is and what it all looks like and how it would be shot. It's one of those to me. Mm-hmm. Speaking of closing your eyes, though, there's this. So we get to eventually where Candy talks imp, imp into, or sorry, t- talks Kenzie into closing her eyes. But we get just like, before we lead up to that, there's just some super gutting lines here, right? Like, my team needs me. I'm indispensable. T- Tristan needs me. And like, that word indispensable, like, cuts to the quick because, like, that is the result of millions, millions of words of, breakthrough turning to Kenzie and using her and making her the most important member of this group. And you're just like, and I'm not blaming the rest of her team, right? I'm not saying this is their fault, but like, this is kind of what happens, right? Like this is like the, she's so effective and so useful and they leaned on her so, so much. So this feeling of indispensable makes sense. Oh yeah. I mean, this is something that's been going on this whole story where, where Victoria, I mean, this is one of the, I, I, I think I don't think we're mean to Victoria hardly ever. So so I'm going to be I'm going to be fairly mean when I say uh. that I th- I think that this is maybe her worst like sin <laughs> as, as the group leader has been consistently like saying with her mouth. We really need to give Kinsey some some boundaries and and, you know, control her 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 impulses and, yeah. you know, be good, be good stewards of her. And then every time the chips are down, which happens like every three days. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, whatever, whatever you need, Kenzie. Yeah. You need to stay up all night and stab shit in your eyes. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I mean, we, we need that. So yes. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it has brought her to this. It has brought her exactly like you said, to this point where she believes she's indispensable and she's right because she's been taught that by her experiences. Yeah. I mean, she makes herself indispensable. And if she has a team that greedily, Maybe that's too fair. That that happily is just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah. Um, that's what's gonna happen. So that yeah. one really, really cuts. Like mm-hmm. the, the moment where Brian asks, Would Tristan want you to do this to hurt like this? And she says, I'm not sure if I care what he wants. That's just like, oh my God, Kenzie, mm-hmm. no. Uh just like all this hurts, like this dialogue just hurts so bad. Mm-hmm. But then the thing that finally does get her to calm down is Candy, which is ominous when you go back and read it a second time and you realize, Oh God, (laughs) this Mm -hmm. is, we, we kind of maybe know why candy is more effective here where everyone else isn't, but she gets her to close her eyes and says like, how many people here do you think you need to take a break? A lot. Can you count them? And there's this real, uh, this part breaks my heart where she says, no, I can't keep my thoughts straight. There's a lot of noise, tinker inspiration. And that's just heartbreaking, right? Like, Like, it's very easy to stand and look at this character and be like, no, obviously realize that everyone wants you to stop right now. But like, imagine her head buzzing with all these ideas that she's getting um, and how that like can overpower 
every other aspect of you. And that's just heartbreaking. Right. I mean, it's, it's hard enough for a person with just a normal anxiety attack or, or panic yeah. attack to, yeah. to manage the, the noise as it were. And, but here she's getting like, you know, blueprints of ideas for how to build a crystal soul camera, yeah. uh, uh, which not helping, not helping. Yeah. Um, like you're the only one who thinks you need to stay. Is there a possibility we're right? You're not. No, no, no. I, and then she finally breaks down. It mm-hmm. finally works. Um, and I, I, I got to admit, I was a bit surprised here that they managed to talk her down here. Um, of course I didn't know what was coming after that, That is just so unbelievably works and more pointed and more depressing, but, um, right. It's, I was like, oh, good, good. We we did it. We did it. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more effective this way than if sure. she had just kind of escalated there because she's intelligent for one thing, like that she's been consistently shown to be intelligent. So sure, sure. Um, like, like her ability to rein it in when she needs to rein it in because there's no other option. Mm-hmm. Um um, that that shows okay she's still got a handle on it but then the next thing that happens just pushes it past the breaking point and there's no uh she 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 loses the plot right like there's no there's no cleverness there's just lashing out at that point so yeah let's let's, let's talk about let's get to that first before we talk about it um so yeah Aisha uh she sends Kenzie to go pick up Kenzie's tech uh no that's not right she sends <laughs> chicken to go pick up Kenzie's tech uh so that's why chicken's there tattletale mm-hmm. nowhere to be seen um, and then Imp gets in contact with Breakthrough on the holomophone, and we see that interaction from the other side. Um, and so that helps us get the timeline straight, uh, because uh, at this point they haven't drugged Kinsey yet. Yeah, and I think this helps ha- square the the she's having a lie down line from the last chapter too. Uh, I, I think one of the hardest things I I was trying to get right in my head when I was kind of going down the chocolate highway with what's going on with Mm -hmm. Kenzie and, and the undersiders was like, they have this, I think pretty good relationship at this point between the two teams. And my theories made it. So the undersiders were lying to the breakthrough and I didn't like that. It just seemed like, no, don't lie. Like you guys have been doing so well and working so well together. Don't lie. Um, and they weren't, they weren't lying at this point. Kenzie was, technically (laughs) having a lie down at this point they didn't nothing they said to them was outright false um Mm -hmm. and it wasn't even like lie by omission too like she kenzie had a bit of a freaked out we calmed her down and she's having a lie down right now things Mm -hmm. had not hit the fan yet yeah yeah i I think it was good like a very simple and elegant way of straightening it out because it's it, it all just is what it appears to be right she doesn't have her freak out until after they touch base here so yeah right 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 yeah so there's this short, but I think very solid, very well-written span where everybody just kind of takes a break. Uh, Kenzie's in the other room, so Imp's not watching what's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, none of the heartbroken can actually do anything to help with the Titan fighting, so they're just all kind of here. Yeah. And Imp is using her power to just give herself a break from having to interact with people mm-hmm. and just kind of recharging. E- even even Brian, um, she she doesn't really want to interact with him, and she thinks maybe he seems more at ease without her present because uh, he can uh, not have to be on. Yeah, which could be true or could just be like her own insecurities about their relationship bleeding through into Fair. interpretations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do love seeing Imp's power used in this. It's all too too much. I just need to be away from these people right now way. Um, and this is this is where I really started to to like catch on to this this idea that I talked to you about a little bit 
earlier that all this bad stuff is happening in this chapter. A lot of it, most of it, 99% of it is focused on Kenzie um, because Kenzie's going through her stuff. But I do think Aisha is just kind of silently suffering in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, So after taking this little break, she goes to check on Candy and Kinsey and finds that Kinsey is in a very Kinsey way expressing some feelings for Candy. And Candy essentially panics at this because, as she says, she doesn't like liking things. Mm -hmm. And this rejection crosses the line for Kinsey. She's lost two teammates within the last week or so. And now she has her confession uh, thrown back in her face. And as Kinsey says, the fact that the reasons for the rejection are very good does nothing to reduce the pain so she threatens them telling them that she'll blackmail them to make everything go the way she wants yeah and it's oh it's real bad um Mm -hmm. and it's i think importantly a lack of acceptance right she cannot accept that the truth is real and makes sense that candy is a person who comes from a very understandable place of i it takes me a long time to like things. And my biggest fear is once I start liking things, I like that I go all in, right? That's what she says is like, I go completely in. And so I, she's become as she's grown and as she's learned about herself and as she's um, made advances and accepted these, these things that she has to deal with, she's realized that she needs to be very careful about this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so she's very cautious when it comes to these kind of things. And Kenzie cannot accept that. She cannot. Um, And this is, I mean, God, it's, it's awful. And like, I guess this is technically a, a reveal about, how about Kenzie's feeling that, that, um, that she's attracted to people. I don't even know though, because like, I, 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 I like, I think like in the, the, the doof discord earlier, um, this past week, we were talking about relationships. Like we were just one of our conversations where a bunch of people were talking at the same time about relationships. And we got on this talk about what, like what type is like, like what is your type or whatever. And I think I like jokingly said something to the effect of my type is people that like me. Um, and and all joking aside, I do think that is something that is very true for Kenzie. Um, I, I I think that she loves when people like her. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she finds someone who likes her in this case, Candy and through her cameras has been seeing signs of like biological signs of attraction or interest is like, Oh, well, I like you and you clearly like me. So let's do this thing mm-hmm. um, and, ca- and cannot understand. Um, and it's, oh, it's really, it's really rough. It's really rough. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe you could say that she understands it intellectually just fine. It's just that, like you said a second ago, she can't accept it. Sure. Sure. And, and that's, I mean, she, she really is smart enough to get why Candy would have a problem with this. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just like, I, I can't handle that. I can't stand that being the case. Right. Right. Even though I fully understand that it is true. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what's, I, I, I think that's the kind of clever and, and novel and interesting thing that this book is doing. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the, the scariest turn in this entire chapter is the, the, I could make you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I don't think it is an accident that a lot of the language around this event is reminding us of Amy, mm-hmm. um, the biological detection of want, um, the unwillingness to accept no, um, the, the desire to manipulate a person into, uh, into saying yes, 
using your power. I mean, these are these are things very similar to what we saw with Amy, and, and that, that seems deliberate here. We're we're making comparisons in that mm-hmm. regard, and it makes this all the more horrifying. There's even the idea that she says that, that the time when she was the most comfortable, and I'm not sure, I don't remember if she uses the word happy, but the time when she was, oh, uh, yeah, you have it right here, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, the longest stretch where she was happy about every day, her heart was light, and she was hopeful about tomorrow. Uh, was when she was blackmailing her parents and forcing them to act as though everything was fine. Yeah. And so we have this idea that it was all a lie. It was all fake. They didn't really love her. In fact, they hated her. And yet that was easier for her in every way than the constant like sort of Sisyphean struggle of trying to be good, trying to give people their space and their freedom um, and, and risking rejection and, and risking, you know, being wronged in all these ways. Yeah. Um, and she still kind of feels that way. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty awful. I mean, obviously this is a really bad moment for her. This is her, this is her lowest moment we've, that we've ever seen her. Just everything's yeah. piling on her right here. So I can, I can give her, you know, some slack in, in saying these things. Um, but the fact that she feels this way is really, really terrible. Oh, it's, it's like, uh, f- failure seems harsh, but mm-hmm. it, it, it is an abject failure of everything she's been working towards this entire book. Like it is it is reverting almost literally to the way she was at the start of the story um, yeah. th- that, that she's so willing to look at the the exactly what she was doing. This is exactly what she was doing when when the first pages of this book were written was the thing that she's saying, I want to do this again because that's the only time I was good. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, that is epic backsliding. The only time when things were good was when she was at her worst, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, uh, you know, I wonder where we're going with Kinsey from here because I like, I feel like, fu- like functionally, like narratively, the per- the purpose of this was to take her off the table as a, as a tool that could be used in solving the climax like right. plot wise. Yeah. But like. This isn't just like this isn't just like the last scene that Kinsey's going to be in, obviously. Like, this, no, yeah, there's we're going we're going to go some <laughs> direction or another with her. Sure, and I'm, sure. I'm really, really curious to see which direction it's going to be. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I honestly don't know at this point. I agree with you that like we're not just like, OK, we're done with Kinsey now. But right. yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I do think there's there's a little bit of uh, irony in the fact that the person who sees themselves as indispensable has now made it through their own choices that they are not there when the team needs them the most, um, through their own actions, right? They, they arranged, they acted this way and they got removed from the board because of their actions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's so like, the thing is like, you want to be mad at her and you want to be disgusted by her. And, and I definitely was that, but I was also just like brokenhearted. Like, yeah, seriously, like it's such like, like I, this, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do anymore. Like none, nothing else is working. Everyone keeps leaving. They die or they leave. I don't know what else to do. And they're just like, well, you just need to stop. And she's like, I can't, mm-hmm. I cannot. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the one, I think yet another way in which there's a direct comparison to Amy is like, she's constantly had the power to quote unquote fix the problem mm-hmm. and the, that power always being ready at hand has sort of driven her crazy. Like it, it's, 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 
if, if she didn't have that option there, then she would have no choice other than to come to grips with her reality. But since the option is always there taunting her, uh, it it doesn't it can't let her go. Right. No, yeah. no matter what, it can't let her go. No matter how hard she tries, that option will always be there taunting her. Mm hmm. Yeah. Just like right. what Amy talks about in the next chapter. Yep. Yep. I think that's a great way that we kind of connect these two, these two together. Yeah. Um, so the team steps in and neutralizes her um, using a combination of powers. And then they force feed her some uh, thinker headache drugs that will have her out of commission until post end of the world. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's just ugh, ugh. Yeah. like, it's amazing that like, this is so much like, holy shit, this is bad like narratively less than I was imagining. Like when you and I were sitting here this time last week, imagining like, what could this be? How bad is this going to be? I mean, it was like, Oh, is she going to be a fucking Titan? Is she going to go into the dream world and, and fuck everything up in there? No, she's just asleep. Mm-hmm. So like narratively it's like, okay, okay. That could have been worse. Yeah. But like for the character, you're just like destroyed. And, and I think we leave the chapter on, on Tattletale saying, like, things will be better when you wake up. All of this is fixable. All of this is fixable. And I just, like, that rang hollow to me at this point. It's like, is it, though? Like, is it? And I want to believe that's true. Of course I do. But, like, is this fixable at this point? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it's just occurred to me. It probably should have occurred to me before now, actually, that, like, she's asleep. But, like, as far as I know, she still has her little computer eyes in. Yeah, I mean, who knows what the fuck's going on there. Yeah. So, like, even if you, like, tied her up, which I don't even think they're going to tie her up, but, like, even if they did, you can't, like, like she's still fully, she still has full access to all of her, her tinkering stuff. So, like, yeah. if she were to, like, somehow wake up before they are ready for her to wake up, then she could just fuck everything up. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's just a, that's just a chocolate thought. Uh, I don't like that chocolate. That's dark, dark chocolate, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, walked right into that one. All right. <laughs> Chapter 19.10. And we're back with Victoria. Mm-hmm. The team tries to decide how to react to what's happened to Kenzie. Jeff, the nice number boy, and Chris, the rude lab rat boy, use their joint power set to puzzle out how long Kenzie will probably be asleep. And it's actually a pretty fun little section. Yeah, uh, we we talked last week about how th- th- these two like working in tandem to science things is a really fun addition to this whole group, and and I think this is another example of that. Um, I, I I like also the detail that they they get told this. We didn't talk about this last last chapter, but they get told this. The reason the rest Chicken Little knows this, and therefore the reason Breakthrough knows what happened, is because he was still connected to Kenzie via Syndicate, like right up until the moment she was drugged. Uh-huh. Uh, which is funny because in the last chapter we saw him tell Imp specifically that he wasn't and Imp was like liar. Um, mm. And yeah, like that's <laughs> turns out that was totally true. And I don't want to focus on this too much, but like that's a whole thing too, right? That's still going on in the background. Their dependency on linking with each other. I don't even know where that could go. I don't want to. That's it's just too much to unpack there that I'm just going to leave it in the box <laughs> until we need to. Sounds good. Um, it is interesting, just a very minor note that, uh, since, since he's now disconnected from Kenzie, he wouldn't know if she were to wake up, True, uh, true. which again, I see, see now I'm getting, now I'm building my Kenzie will wake up prematurely and <laughs> fuck shit up theory. Yeah. Because it's not like syndicate just cut off all the connections, right? She just carved Kenzie out of the connection. So syndicate and chicken little are still connected, right? That's my assumption. Yeah. yeah. So it's just yeah. Kenzie's gone from it now. So no one is connected to Kenzie. Yeah. yeah yeah great great 
Cool. Ah, so uh, basically a lot of what this chapter is doing, as we talked about before, is removing elements from play. Kenzie's out, won't be useful again until it's too late to help in the crisis. Yeah, and I think that's what this whole uh, Chris and and number boy calculating does, right? It's like we're down to two hours. We got two hours before whatever they saw uh, in the Seamark vision comes true, and they've now calculated that best estimate has Kenzie out for about that long. Um, so as you said, the solutions to this problem, uh, keep going away. We have less and less options to choose from. Yep. And I, like, I think it's so interesting because I always wondered, like in the back of my head, I was, was like, Kenzie's like one of the most powerful capes. I think she's the most powerful cape in breakthrough. Um, she's going to have a part to play in however the story resolves. And now the story has basically just gone like, nope. Mm. And it's very possible that she will end up, I think good, good or, or ill, um, I, I think you're, you're right that, that she could play a part in this still, but for now she's been removed from the board. Yeah. At, at least we're supposed to be surprised if that happens. Sure. Sure. So Victoria talks about her plan and she says that she wants to, uh, judo fate. <laughs> uh, she knows they can't fight these precogs in a way that averts them from achieving their goals, but there's a lot you can do, uh, to set things up so that they achieve their goals. Like technically, and then mm-hmm. you achieve your goals actually. Uh, so maybe you even help them achieve their horrible goals to get like a bit of a tailwind, a bit more momentum toward your own aims. Mm-hmm. Very cool idea. Yeah, you like you like drift on them past the finish line and then like shake and bake past them. That's shake. You know what? Shake and bake is exactly the metaphor that I was going for. Is it? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I I want to talk about this for a long time, though, because I like thematically, this is delicious to me, right? Like, let the world end. Let Fortuna Titan achieve her goals and then like hope that there's a period between the finish line of her path to victory and the end mm-hmm. where you can like get in there and fuck shit up mm-hmm. and like. Like meta narratively, if the entities are storytellers, then Victoria basically wants to like sneak into the epilogue and be <laughs> like, and then they actually lost. <laughs> oh my god! Now I want that to actually happen. Like the <laughs> the book ends horribly, and then the epilogue is everything getting fixed. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> that would be really good. Yeah, yeah. So, but we learn here that like the best estimates has like, and and this is again we have to stress these are only estimates from. Uh, from number boy, but a 40 minute window between, uh, Fortuna achieving her goal and the end actually happening. And so they got like that much time to do something, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I mean, thematically, this is really delicious because first of all, Chris has been saying we can't win this way the whole time. Like it doesn't even make sense to fight. And then Victoria's like, Hmm, Chris is right. So that's, that's funny. But it also relies on this like Victoria, the person who always wanted to act, always wanted to charge into the battlefield, always wanted to punch the bad thing is basically being like, Hey, battle is not going to win. Like standing by staying out of it, letting it happen might be the key here. Yeah. And just planning for after that, which is like, that's a change for Victoria for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Standing. I mean, I like how you phrase that. Yeah. Just like, like letting, letting bad things happen has always been her, uh, the opposite of, of her thing. She's, she's the fuck no person. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would be really interesting if they actually helped, you know, 
uh, Fortuna's plot in some meaningful way to get themselves yeah. into a position where they could leverage, yeah. um, leverage their position. Um, I, that that's I just repeated myself, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's I, a, it's a fucking crazy ass idea, Matt. Like it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's literally, it's literally the only thing that could possibly work against, against Titan Contessa. Yeah. So yeah. And Chris and Chris is like, fuck yeah, let's yeah. do it. Um, this, this plan is the ward equivalent of, of, crossing the streams and Chris is basically Pete Bankman going, I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Uh, so Victoria's top idea is to go for a big messy solution. Guts and glory. <laughs> That's a great callback, Matt. D- does everyone know about that? <laughs> that listens not, to the show. We, we may have mentioned it, but we can yeah. mention it again. It's, it's the, sure. the old, it's, it's the original name for the like series of snippets that, uh, were were written about um, uh, Amy and Glory Girl. Uh, yep. That I think they were. I'm not sure if they were literally like. I'm not sure if. I'm not sure if Amy was literally called Guts, but it would make a lot of sense because that's her power. It sure um, would. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's it's the genesis of all of this, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Of course, it's Amy. Of course, it's Amy. Um, I, I love, <laughs> I love that Sveta is so shocked by this idea that Victoria is like, well, time to go to Amy. That she's like, hold on. Master Stranger protocols. Uh-huh. Um, but she is, of course, not aware of the breakthrough that Victoria has had. And I think that's the most important thing. And as we go through this entire rest of this chapter, I think we need to keep that in mind that she's only able to do this. She's only able to come up with this idea. She's only able to have this conversation. She only She's only able to get through this conversation without murdering anyone because of the breakthrough that she had because mm-hmm. of the realization that she had because of the true acceptance she c- achieved that moment in shard world. Um, mm-hmm. and, and once again, we have to go back to this idea that, that she has these wedges, these, these Amy shaped wedges like invading her and they're still there, but they're in their place and they're not in any other place. And therefore she's able to move forward with this. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, when they have this conversation in a bit, it's not like she's just perfectly zen and nothing can bother her. That, that she still gets, she still gets upset. She still gets a little bit triggered, but it's yeah. qualitatively different than it's been in the past. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh god, like like the, just like we see her struggle with it, and but like this, I mean, if you compare it to the way just even mentioning or thinking about Amy's name would spiral her in the early moments of this book, it's so much better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, here we have this line where the re- the repetition of it, I think, just brings this fantastic sense of coming full circle. Yeah. She's the scariest damn person in the world. Still, Sveta asked. Still, I said, my expression like stone. If it comes down to pointing her at the monsters we're trying to stop, then that's what we do. Yeah. And it's, again, the first time she said this, it was just from a place of terror and, and warning and somebody needs to be watching her and making sure she doesn't ruin it, you know, destroy everything. And and here she's saying, yeah, she's still the scariest damn person in the world, but yeah. if, if we need to use her, then that's what we do. And that's, yeah. yeah. And I think this is really important. I think that the still that Sveta asks is probably the most important part of this sentence, because I think what, what the book is trying to make clear here is that it's not like Victoria has forgiven Amy for everything that happened. It's not like she still doesn't, she still has a, a like she has a she doesn't trust her still she's afraid of her still she thinks she's bad still she's scary and super powerful 
but right. And, and, and I think the still is so important there because I think the, the book wants to make it really clear here that it's not like we've just gone, Oh, it's time for the Amy redemption arc. Now that's not what's happening. That is not what's happening at all. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening is a moment in Victoria where she is able to put things in their proper places and go forward. Right. This isn't about Amy. This is about yep. Victoria. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I love this moment where the team reunites with Jessica again. It's yet another bit of, of like a feeling of full circle. Um, and you know, we've got the team minus Tristan and Ashley, of course. And Kenzie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, forcing yourself to approach the group takes more power, more willpower than fighting Titan Scotty had done. I love that touch. Oh yeah. That was such a great, that's a great note. It's so much easier to, to fight a big giant unkillable death monster than it is to approach your therapist and, and your therapy team. Yeah. Right. Um, like you're, you're talking about this feeling of full circle and I, and I completely agree. That's, that's what we're doing here. Like the therapy group is back together again with their therapist. Only, uh, Victoria has this moment where she says I'd failed two dead, one imprisoned. And if I counted rain, the only reason he wasn't in prison as well was that the prison had been attacked. And it's amazing to me how Victoria can say true things that are not remotely her fault, but somehow just make them her fault. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, like there's so much more going on here. And like, as you said, the only one that I would feel comfortable, even kind of laying at, at Victoria's feet is what's happening at Kenzie. And even that, like not all the way on the feet, just like on the, 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 the little pinky toe. Yeah. The, the part that was, um, you know, turned into a mutant pinky toe. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, yeah, like, cause we don't know how, like, we don't know how things would have gone. We don't know without Victoria's intervention, how many of these kids would be dead, how worse off they would be if it wasn't for her. We don't know that. Like, it's just like, uh, you can't know that for sure. And you can't treat every one of these things as if it's your fault. I really like, I, I, my mind kind of immediately compared this to imp in the last chapter with the heartbroken, because we see in this moment, imp is thinking about how Samuel is dead and how she misses him. But she never looks at his death as a personal failure of hers, right? It's a thing that happened. It's tragic, and she's sad about it, and she misses him. Um, but it's not her fault. It's not like she looks at holistically at how how improved everything's been. She doesn't focus on the moments of failure and then lay them on her shoulders. Yeah, this is a really good point that that not only does she feel responsible for everyone's deaths, but like you pointed out, she seems to feel responsible for Rain having gone to prison, despite the fact that right. the thing that he went to prison for was something he did before they met. Yeah. It's, well, yeah. and I mean, Rain is undoubtedly doing better than he was yeah. before Victoria came into his life. Now, whether you want to give her the credit for that is another story, but you you can't give her the responsibility for the failure that he the failures that he had certainly not yeah i mean and, and this is one moment where she's not like sometimes she gives herself credit for helping sveta here she's absolutely not even noticed she's not paying any attention like yeah yeah but sveta's here and yeah and i really helped her a lot right and, and did we lose tristan and ashley on the way yeah we did but it's fucking parahumans man people die the yeah. only one the only one that we can truly blame for this is wild bow sure yeah yeah, it's true. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, li- literally true. Uh, so it, it becomes clear that Victoria has pulled in certain key people who she expects to need for this confrontation with Amy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol is here. Uh, Carol uh, sort of very obliquely steps up to defend Victoria from Jessica's uh, 
possibly imaginary barb about how could how uh, kids shouldn't be on battlefields. Yeah, I, I like that you said possibly imaginary there. Uh, Victoria certainly takes it as a barb, and it seems like Carol takes it as a barb as well because she kind of swoops in and defends both her daughter here, but also like just Herself. her entire way of life. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But is it a barb, Matt? I don't know. It could be. I don't know. I, she doesn't defend it after call after being called on it. I I I man, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like she's just stating the obvious, right? She just yeah. like yeah, uh this isn't shocking that this has happened because she's like 12 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um I don't think it's I don't I don't I think Victoria and Carol take it as a pointed barb towards them. And I don't know if I'm comfortable saying that's what Jessica no, intended. I, I don't think it was intended. I, I don't think she's in the headspace to be like shooting barbs at people right now anyway. Right, that right. My, my model of, of Jessica is that she's just like worn down by reality and, and the world and that her it would totally be within keep in keeping for her to just be like, yeah, Battlefield is not a place for kids in, in like a thousand yard stare fashion like not yeah. even recognizing that anybody else is there yeah. right it's not like the text says battlefield's not a place for kids and then she looks at carol or right. looks at victoria right? right that doesn't happen yeah well i um, also i just don't think she's really one for for barbs like yeah. she's gonna say something like that she's gonna make it clear that she's criticizing you she's also like gone through so much personally that i don't think she's in a place to be critiquing other people <laughs> yeah she's done a lot wrong at least she feels that way right now I sure think. sure yeah. sure i do like now i know like carol's defense here defending herself and defending victoria to a little bit as well is definitely just like a gut reaction defense to a perceived barb but i also kind of like it as like a subtextual like admonishment of the way victoria is feeling about her failures towards breakthrough like listen to what this she says here this world of ours doesn't let children off easily sometimes you can't avoid the battlefield life goes on life gets hard and we have to live it regardless and i think that's all true and i think that's what victoria needs to hear right now is mm -hmm. like look shit happens sometimes like you can try your absolute hardest and bad shit just sometimes happens and there's no there's no specific thing you can blame it on all you can do is keep going focus on the good do what you're doing right now with like where you 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 ignore all the shitty things your your mom did and focus on the one moment uh, where she showed you genuine love do that do that with breakthrough. Stop stop focusing on the moments of your perceived failures and focus on the moments of, of, of friendship, of family, of respect, of love. Do that. Do that. Yeah. Oh, you're making me feel all warm inside, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like that. But sometimes uh, you can't avoid the battlefield, Matt. <laughs> That's what they have to do now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope so. Yeah. So, uh, we learned that apparently Darnall and Amy have been doing therapy for for just hours at this point. Yeah, they're like taking lunch breaks and then just going back to it I, to be a fly on the wall and at the start of that yeah. session. Right. I, that, basically, that's, that's what my brain did, too. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, man, I wonder, like, what they've been talking about. Yeah. I, I want to know. Like, how many times do you think Darnall said in his head, God damn it, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> at least 10. Uh, at least 10. Yeah. Although, you know, it sounds like he's made some progress. Sure, sure, we'll see, sure. See yeah. how long it, it takes. Um, or, yeah. 
Uh, I, I like this. This this is an interesting little exchange here. I, I wanted us to just talk it out because I wasn't sure 100% what to make of it. Where sure. Victoria, basically, uh, Jessica is, is, is like, you know, don't expect a miracle. And Victoria is like, ah, I don't I don't expect a miracle. I guess this is a Hail Mary, a long shot attempt at trying to get the stars to align, make something happen. And then it says rain snorted. I looked at him, but his mask covered his face and I couldn't read his expression or guess about the nature of the snort. And I just kind of felt like we were supposed to read something into Rain's reaction, but like, I'm, I'm not getting it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, to rephrase, I thought of like six different interpretations of what Rain could be reacting to. And then uh, the folks on Discord provided like six more different possibilities. Um, but I'm not sure about any of them. So I just wanted to p- pull that out. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any any like, obviously, it's this answers for you. I mean, my my initial take was she says, I'm not hoping for a miracle and then describes a series of things that require miracles. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I I also thought it was kind of funny how she just kind of mashes metaphors together where she's like, sure. a Hail Mary, stars align, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody on the Discord, I'm sorry, I didn't pull their name, uh, said that maybe uh, in, in The Fallen, a Hail Mary is just something really lewd. Yeah, I thought of that, too. Like, like th- that's a that's a religious reference. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is interesting that like she looks at him and is like, what, 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 what do you mean yeah. by that? And and then we just kind of move on. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's like it bothered me. I was just like, I wonder if we can figure it out exactly, like exactly what yeah. was intended by that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Byron and Jessica go off so that Jessica can coach him through breaking the news to his mom. See, Matt, Jess- Jessica's still good. She can, mm-hmm. she can help with things. Yeah. I, I, I like, there's part of me that really wants to hear how this phone call is going to go. Um, and there's part of me that hopes I never, ever, ever, ever have to hear how this phone call is going to go because like, I just remember her, like Tristan's and Byron's mom being like so shitty to Tristan and like deservedly. I'm not saying that like Tristan did not do anything to earn the ire of his parents, but I just like, it's got to be devastating to realize that you like were so hurt by his actions that you cut him out of your life. And now it's too late to, to amend that. Right. And it's so sad. It's like, I think it would be a beautiful, heartbreaking, touching scene that I never, ever, ever want to actually see. Uh I mean, not only would it be like, not only um, is it sad because there's no hope for resolution. It's sad because he died doing the thing that proves that he was, a good person after all. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it invalidates her idea that like, Oh, he's a monster. Yeah. Ugh. Um, cause he saved Byron. So, Ugh. Oh yeah. Yep. 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 Um, so then, uh, Victoria and her family, including, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah and Carol head down to the cells to find Amy. Victoria spontaneously hugs Carol in the elevator and her mom then leans on her as they walk out. Oh, you're killing me, book. <laughs> so many scenes are just heartbreaking. Like I, I, I loved this. Like uh-huh. it, it comes mid sentence from Carol, right? Like Carol's like turning to probably, I mean, <laughs> I feel like we know Carol enough at this point to be like, the thing she's about to say is probably not going to be like yeah. super nice. Yeah. What happened to your <laughs> costume pants, Victoria? I mean, I, I think it's probably something to the effect of, what the fuck do you think you're doing? Like, this is a terrible idea. Why are we doing this? And and Victoria just interrupts her, hugs her, gives her this big old hug and be like, look, I've been I, I saw some visions. It reminded me of some times back in our life. Uh, and I just wanted to let you know that I love you despite everything. And, and again, this is not 
like the book being like everything Carol did was fine. Mm -hmm. Turns out. No, it's saying you did terrible shit, but you loved me as well. There were good times as well. And I wanted, you to know, I love you for those moments. Um, and it's acceptance it's and it's beautiful and i really really like it and then and and the image of her leaning on her after that ugh. yeah i I like i like casting that as acceptance because she doesn't have to forgive her mom to Mm. love her mom like yeah oh yeah like you don't have to (laughs) you, you don't you don't have to forgive your parents for times that they slipped up in order to continue to love them. Sure. And sure. I think maybe she had lost sight of that prior to this and it was really healing for her to, to get to get reminded that that's the case. Yeah. And it also doesn't mean that their relationship is going to be perfect now, right? They're still going to struggle. They're still get like she's still dealing with the, the the hurt that her mother has caused her. Um and that is going to be a continued source of conflict between these two. Um that doesn't go away because you hug your mom and tell her you love her, but she does love her. Yeah, right. Um it doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um, all right. So, um, they, they go down and Darnall immediately has like just serious problems with the whole breach of etiquette, <laughs> uh, conflict of interest represented by Victoria being here at all. Um, Victoria is also aware that she's essentially violating some of her own inner resolutions about what she would do the next time she saw Amy. Yeah, and we have to remember all these things, right? Like she said, one way or another, the next time I see her will be the last. And then she also said, if she still has that piece of skin over her heart the next time she sees her, I, I see her, I will kill her. Um, like this is some serious stuff and now we're here. I think this is so devilishly designed though. Like it's so good. Like this is this being the situation that, that Wildbow has basically reversed everything from before. Like before it was Amy like forcing herself into Victoria's life and Victoria just being like, no, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. And now suddenly it's Victoria going to Amy, um, for help. And this time, like everyone surrounding them is like, Victoria, this is a real, real bad idea. This is like super bad. Like just Carol is standing there next to her. Um, the the same Carol who like tried to trick her into going to, um, uh, a, a barbecue where her sister was there to surprise her to try to mend their relationship is now standing next to her going, Hey, this is a super bad idea. You Are you sure? Mm-hmm. You sure you want to do this? Like it's, it's just like, we've kind of flipped everything. Um, yeah. and it's, and I love that Victoria is aware of the contradiction here. Right. She's totally aware of it. This isn't something that I thought about while reading because I was kind of in, in Victoria's current headspace, which is very, peaceful and accepting to use that word yet again. Mm-hmm. Um, but like as far as everyone around her knows, like their, their model of Victoria would be like, Oh, she's going to just kill her. Like, mm-hmm. like something's happened. She's trying to get close to her so she can kill her. We need to, uh, Victoria, are you, um, uh, <laughs> do you want to maybe, uh, come talk to me for a minute? And she's like, no, no, yeah. I want to talk to Amy. And like, Oh <laughs> shit. Oh God. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't like she's outlined why like she's given them the reason. Right. But I, th- I think you're right that like they're they're extending a lot of uh, a lot of faith to Victoria in this moment. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, our girl doesn't let any of them down. <laughs> yes. Yes. So then we get to the long awaited conversation. Um, Amy immediately seems very different here. Victoria seems a bit different, too, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's because of this inner shift, this this discovery of self-acceptance and love has opened up the potential for her to feel her reactions, uh, but not be controlled by them. I think, I think that's why she's able to, to maintain 
kind of a, a higher level of, of functionality during this conversation. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think it is so important to, again, acknowledge that this is only possible because of the incredibly hard-fought progress that Victoria won for herself, entirely independent of Amy. This is progress that she made, the breakthrough that she made through her own hard work that has nothing to do with Amy. That's the only way she's able to be here right now. Um, so important. Have mm-hmm. to reiterate that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into the the content of this conversation, I want to spend some time talking about the blocking because I, I think it's real great. Like the, the 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 layout of this conversation, where the people are standing, what they're doing is so, so, so good. Mm-hmm. So like Victoria and Darnall are just talking slash arguing about how fucking terrible of an idea this is. And then there's a squeak as a door open and everybody tenses up, not just Victoria, right? Like not just Victoria, everyone. And I think that once again reinforces like how how everyone's idea of this relationship has shifted over the course of the book that like before it was just Victoria being like hey why is nobody listening to me you don't understand no one's listening to me about this girl and now it's like the door opens and Amy walks out and everyone is like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah in fact everyone except Victoria perhaps uh Mm -hmm. I mean I mean Victoria becomes tense right but but uh everyone else is almost seeing her for the first time in a certain sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then Amy is just there with her back turned. And in fact, the entire first part of this conversation happens with Amy's back turned to Victoria. And I think that helps elevate the tension, right? Because we don't get to see the look on her face as she says the thing she says early in this conversation. We don't get to see what she looks at. Has she made progress? What, what does her face do when she knows that Victoria has come to see her? Like, is it just, she get excited? Does she see hope in that? What does it do? And the book denies that from us. We don't know. And so it's like, just really helps like intensify the conversation. And, and, and we have a clear demarcation point where she eventually turns around and faces Victoria and truly faces her mm-hmm. um, to ha- when the conversation starts to really, really dive into uh, the changes that that Amy has recognized. Um, it, it's it's just really powerful. It's a really powerful way to lay the scene out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to pull out this one line from Victoria's inner monologue where she thinks how much of me had wanted to do this just to prove to myself I was stronger, that the revelation back there had meant something when it came to Amy. Had I blocked off thinking about other avenues out of a desire to inflict this on myself? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I thought that was really interesting because it's not like there's an answer to this. Like, like she doesn't conclude like, yes. Um, but I, I think it's just by asking it, it is almost a, a hint that this is, it, it is percolating in her brain. Like that she, she wanted to have this confrontation so that she could put this behind her. Um, and, yeah. I, and I think it serves that purpose, honestly. I think it does. I think on some level it is, it is what it is on the surface, which is, I think, uh, we need something big and messy for this plan of mine and this is the perfect person for it. But yeah, I think part of it is a test, a test of herself, a test of her ability to handle this. And part of it is a test of Amy. She wants to see for the final time. What's, who are you? Are you, are you the monster? Truly? This is it. This is your last chance. Yeah. And I, I don't mean chance like if you pass, we're going to have a relationship. That's not what I mean. But like, are you truly the the horrible monster? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's I think I think there's there's reads and I wouldn't say that the, any of those is particularly verifiably wrong. I think it's probably a, a little of all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. 
So Victoria mentions the talk uh, that she was reminded of and that she saw in the crystals. And it's interesting how Amy kind of remember, remembers it differently, like like not not factually, but she fixates on different things, like the feeling of, of like shame and how Carol spoke to her. And I, I just think that's fascinating because we saw how Carol spoke to her. And I mean, it was just kind of normal Carol stuff. It wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like all like it wasn't awful. Like it didn't strike me as like, oh, my God, I can't believe Carol would speak to her that way in front of everyone. Yeah, but, I mean, it wasn't but, great, but. It wasn't great, but like Amy has just like let this fester for her whole life. And it's and you, you kind of see Carol react to it where she's like, oh, my God, like. Right. And and uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if we've we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but it, it, if and when I am a parent one day, the scariest concept to me is the idea that I could say something to my kid that to me it's like just not like not like a perfectly angelic thing but just like something and for whatever reason this one thing i said sticks in my kid's brain and it is something they never forget about for the rest of their life and it has just like greatly influenced who they are and the direction of their life without me even being aware of that that i that i did that um that scares the shit out of me (laughs) so like yep just to put your mind at ease um parenting is just a bottomless well of guilt (laughs) Um, sweet from from, from even before they can even form memories you'll be you'll be having yeah. guilt about things so it just becomes normal at a certain point is what i'm saying awesome great yeah. can't wait mm-hmm. um but i mean i think i think the the most important thing is not even that she sees it differently than victoria saw it but the yeah that that, that she's fixated on it for her whole life like victoria says she barely remembers this conversation happening amy has never forgotten it Mm-hmm. It is something that has ruled her life. Um, not entirely, but it has ruled a portion of her life. Like she says, she couldn't even pick up a book in the, that book series. She happened to be reading that day without thinking of this moment. That's how, that's how ingrained it is upon her life. Like, like it's great, great work there, Carol. <laughs> great, great work. Isn't that interesting that this, this was one of Victoria's like, like memories from the love crystal. Sure, sure. And it would have been one of Amy's memories from the shame crystal. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's really fascinating. It is certainly fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think about that. Um, I love this moment where like this is before they even really get into the meat of the conversation where like Victoria starts talking to her and she says, like, thank you for doing this. Like, and I think Victoria genuinely means this. And Amy's response is, you don't need to do this. Do what? Talk to me. Like it's you fulfilling your end of the deal. Don't worry. I'll keep my appointments. I'll talk about my feelings. I'll, and then she tells her the world's going to end. But I, like, I think this is one of those like great introductions to the serious part of this conversation where you're still not like a hundred percent sure. Cause there's a read of that sentence where Amy has come to some realization and is like recognizing that like, she needs to put in the work, but there's also a read of it where she's like still making herself the victim in some way. Sure. Um, and you're like, I think it's, it's cut, it's a little bit ambiguous. And I think you're still like, like a lot of me on this conversation was like, I think this maybe is going to go well, but I'm not sure. And you're just kind of tense, like waiting to see. And there's moments where like, I think the first moment where, where Amy is like, nah, that wasn't my rock bottom. You're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but then she goes on and explains what she means by that. And you're like, oh, 
Okay. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what this conversation is. It's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, 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 okay. Okay. I get what you meant by that. Just like that first bit you pulled out where, where she's like, you don't need to do this. And, and, and then Victoria's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this to fill our, to fulfill our deal. I'm doing this because I need you. I need to ask you a question. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, and you're worried. You're like, oh, is Amy going to like blow up about this? Like, is, mm-hmm. is this a slap in the face? And then, and then Amy just kind of goes on with it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And, but, but like we, like you said, we keep having these moments of like, Oh shit! Is is this it? Is this the is this the uh, the the flashpoint where one of them kind of crosses the line with the other, and either we push Amy over the edge and she snaps, or or vice versa with with Victoria? Yeah, um, yeah. And it never never crosses that line because Amy has, I think, I think maybe just enough tools to to have to have the perspective to be like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm 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 responsible for a lot of this. I can't uh, I can't I can't keep telling myself these stories. And yeah. and Victoria has had this breakthrough where she's also not gonna just go uh and terry smash um spontaneously yep 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 so yeah victoria asks if she'd be willing to help by using her power oh wow wow and there's this whole <laughs> yeah i know which is like that's it that's yeah <laughs> that's that's the biggest sentence you've ever said there yeah right i just <laughs> blow past that but yeah <laughs> um yeah it's pretty it's pretty pretty much yeah um and and then amy kind of goes into this thing where she talks about how freeing it was to have hit rock bottom back when she was in the birdcage. And she says that now she doesn't feel like she's at rock bottom. And so she doesn't have the strength um, to do these things anymore. And yeah. Victoria argues, no, you're still totally at rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, and Amy says, no, ever since she realized that she could fix Victoria, she's understood that she's had the power to fix everything uh, for herself. Um, yeah. Kind of like what we were talking about with Kinsey earlier. It's it's always been within her grasp to fix her whole situation um, to her own liking, even if it's monstrous. She could have done it, it and, and it's been tempting her constantly. And she has nightmares about it. She says, mm-hmm. um, "But but now this is actually like apparently now she's in a better place because because she doesn't feel omnipotent because she absolutely did fuck up uh, and and irrevocably destroy Hunter, and um, that's." kind of a new rock bottom i guess yeah i mean it is it is and i I love victoria's response to that is oh so it just took destroying two people's lives and Uh and amy doesn't answer because the answer to that is like yeah 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 it kind of it kind of did like right that sucks but yes yeah it's it's god i i have so much to say about this conversation but i want you to read the the quote that you pulled out here because it's it's great yeah, after after Victoria says that, it says her posture seemed to crumple at that. I could think of that crumpling in the face of Carol's withering criticisms of struggles in school. I could have done more back then, maybe. Possibly. I relented. I turned so I couldn't even see her in my peripheral vision. Yeah, so now Victoria turns away from Amy. Um like there, there's this there's this blocking going on here, right? Where mm-hmm. one was facing the other way and then turned and then Victoria turns away. I mean, there's this dance kind of happening here as they have this conversation. It's also just kind of powerful that that Victoria would even turn her back on her at all. Right, right. It shows like not trust, but um, lack of terror. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is like this whole thing is like the biggest revelation ever <laughs> mm-hmm. like the biggest amy based revelation we've had in a long time and I, I do think this goes back to something you and i talked about that you brought up oh god months ago 
um, around Amy, that that idea of what would it be like to have this power at your fingertips, right? That I think you speculated about this a while ago, just mm-hmm. like how how like incredible that would affect the way you look at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's like there's been a lot of talk throughout this entire book amongst the community about. Uh, the Amy we see in Worm and how different she is from the absolute monster we see throughout the majority of, of this book. And to me, this is that explanation. This this explanation that Amy is giving to both Victoria and us, this is it. The Amy in Worm had hit rock bottom. She recognized that she did this terrible thing and she, she selfishly removed herself from the equation by going to the birdcage and this was like her self-imposed punishment. Um And at the end of that story, we are seeing that person at rock bottom. That person, she says, I thought you were dead. Um, I thought there was nothing I could do about it. And and she made her choices from there. And she was a person that was maybe recognizing the depth of the horrible thing she did. And maybe in a place where she could grow from there. And then Taylor, bless her heart, (laughs) dropped Victoria at Amy's feet. And... She fixes her, and then it's suddenly like, holy shit, I can fix anything. Look at this. I could fix this. And, and she she only fixes her physically, but she could mentally fix everything too, right? Like she could just fix uh, – go away that. I'll fix this. I'll fix this. And that, that power becomes addictive in a way. Um, even if you're not necessarily acting on it, the mere presence of it there distorts everything. Yeah, right. I mean, this is something I remember thinking about this uh, even before Ward started, but after Worm had, had ended, I was like, kind of had this moment where I was like, if like when you're a kid, you kind of fantasize about like, oh, I wish I had superpowers. And I realized like, if I had gotten superpowers as a teenager, I would have been a villain. <laughs> I'm completely certain of this. And it's it's not because I like want to rob banks or something. It's because when you have the power to like make things the way you want them to be and that power is always just right there, it's kind of like the absolute power corrupts absolutely thing where yeah, it, yeah. it's like you're ju- just the presence of that is going to wear away at you, I think. Yeah. And I think it would have done me anyway. Like, I, I don't think I was strong enough to have like had a lot of power and not abused it because abusing it is the default like like abu- using it wisely would be incredibly difficult and 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 uh requiring of, of great like care and restraint whereas just using it in any in any other way other than um you know the most most careful way would be abuse almost by definition with a great enough level of power like that's sure. and, and that's amy's problem really is like how 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 does she use her power uh, other than just healing people um how can she possibly use her power in a way that isn't kind of crossing a line? Yeah. And even that kind of is um, yeah, true. Even just simply healing people is like, I'm th- the person when she just like, Oh, I took your cancer away. I just did yeah. that for you. Um, yeah. I mean, that's nice, but you're also like violating someone's bod- body at- autonomy yeah. by doing that. True. Um, and like, I think this is, it's so like, the other thing that I love about what Amy outlines here is how everyone around her, supported her in this in this feeling she had like and we go back to the beginning of the book where it was literally just victoria 
v the world when it came to Amy. Like nobody took her seriously when it came to Amy. She's like, no, you don't understand. This is the most dangerous person in the world. You don't understand. And we had Carol and Mark seeing like, nah, nah, just be better with her. We had Jessica Yamada who didn't fully understand at the time. And then we had Chris who just saw her as a, a thing to abuse and a method. And thinking back to that person on Shin that like thanked her for, um, for bringing in all the refugees and saving them, which was undoubtedly good stuff she did, but it all goes to enforce this idea of I am all powerful. I can do everything. There is nothing I cannot fix. And therefore there is nothing I can do wrong. Um, until Hunter. Mm-hmm. Until Hunter, until the the forced realization that you are not all powerful and some stuff you break cannot be fixed. And that is the thing. Like. You can't fix Victoria, you cannot fix it like you can't do it. Um, All the power in the world cannot fix it. And you have to realize that. And I think she finally does. Mm-hmm. I hope I hope. Yeah. The, I mean, the exchange where. Where, where Victoria's like you, you didn't fix me. You know, yeah. I, I still, I still suffer from what you did. Yeah. Um. And and uh. And Amy still. I think as as nice as it is to see that she's made a bit of progress, I think she can't really accept that yet. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, this is not like this is not a miracle, right? This is not the stars did not align here, and Amy is now good person. Uh, capital G, capital 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 P, good person. But yeah. Um. Yeah. It's a step in in a different direction from the steps she's been taking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well put. Well put. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I think one of the arguments you could make about this section is like about this idea of like the, the general question of what, why was Amy so different between these two books? What the a question, an argument you could make would be, well, why wasn't this outlined for us earlier in the story? Why wasn't this this made clear why this character was so different earlier in the story? Story, why are we here at the end of this book and now doing this? And my response to that is like, well, this isn't Amy's story. This is Victoria's story. And this thing couldn't be revealed. This this realization could not be achieved until Amy was in a place to recognize it and to until Victoria was in a place to be able to listen to it. And the literal first time that happens in the entire book is when this information is revealed to us. So yeah. this is, this is the only place it could have happened. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this is beautifully executed. Yeah. Um, hundred percent. I, 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 uh, the, the, yeah, I don't know. People, people seem to get a bit confused about Amy's character. And I'm just like, this is, what it looks like when like a real person has an evolution over time. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see any, I mean, I, I think it's honestly genius. Like, like how often do you see a character who's um, like, like the, the kind of the underlying psychodynamics are, are sketched out over, over such a long period of time and with such like believable twists and turns. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, Amy ends up saying that she plans to never use her power again and that she fed little Victoria Patch to Dot. And uh, she's looking Victoria in the eyes when she says it, and Victoria believes her. Yeah, and because Victoria believes her, we can believe her because this one thing this book has established, it's that Victoria is pretty right when it comes to Amy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think there's any trickery going on there in in my mind. I I took that as, as face value as Victoria took it. Yeah, I, I 
me, me too. Yeah, I don't even think it occurred to me to to doubt that. I was like, yep, yep. This the scene is conveying that she has gotten rid of the Victoria patch. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's it. Matt, Amy says no, mm-hmm. and Victoria leaves. And this is a huge fucking deal, man. <laughs> yeah. Like like think about this. Think about what just happened here. This is what Amy has been wanting the whole book. This is the moment she's been waiting for. The moment she feels like she's deserved. This is the Amy redemption arc moment, right? Mm -hmm. It's the end of the YA book that she was reading where the orphaned criminal gets one last chance. The person that she loves and hurt is standing in front of her, asking for her help, needing her. This is a chance to prove that she's the good person that she always said she was and no one else believed. A chance to prove that she's the hero and she says no. And I think it's the right decision. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think the book has gone out of its way to establish that people that aren't mentally and emotionally prepared to go out here and face this stuff should not do it. Like right. we we just had Tristan die. Yeah. Because of this very thing. And, and I think it's no small accident that Tristan's the one that brought up this idea that's like, hey, um, when you're not all emotionally there, you could make bad decisions or you could do things and bad shit could happen. And the Titans are the living embodiment of when you are not mentally together and you put yourself under strain, bad shit happens. That that is that that idea made flesh. Yes. And so yes. we have and we've seen that fail again and again and again and again. And now we have here in a character in Amy recognizing that I'm not in I, I'm not in a good place. I shouldn't do that. Uh, someone else will save the world. Right. It's really fascinating because like from like the utilitarian Taylor Hebert standpoint, of course, Amy should agree to help because. The world is at stake. Mm-hmm. P- pretty much any sacrifice is worth it. But from from the framework of like every single idea that has been expressed in this story, uh-huh. of course she should not. Like yeah. like, like that's uh, j- just every every theme is pointing in the same answer. That if this is her choice, for, first of all, it, it's it's a responsible choice. It's um it's the conservative and and kind of uh uh. Like, 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 <laughs> I mean, you can say the you can say the utilitarian choice is to help, but like that's that's ignoring the fact that Amy could make things a thousand times fucking worse. Sure. By, yeah. By helping and then and then messing it up, which is a very likely outcome. Uh, so so like this is that, that's the kind of thing that gets left on the cutting room floor with a lot of the utilitarian analyses is mm-hmm. like it's Amy. She's going <laughs> to she's going to somehow turn the entire world into the one giant wretch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, so. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is like a perfect payoff of everything they've set up and it, it it's so, <laughs> I mean, it's, we, it's crazy that it comes from Amy. Like I just never, that never would have been the place I expected it to come from, but I, I, I respect her that for that one thing, <laughs> that one moment of, of recognition of being given everything you wanted and felt like you should have gotten that that was deserved and saying no. Mm -hmm. Um, Sure. Yeah. And then Victoria leaves and she's like, well, I got no more ideas. Yeah. That's how we end the chapter. Yep. Yep. 
Yep. So Amy's off the board too. So I, we, we kind of talked about this at the very beginning of the show, but I mean, do you think this is it? Do you think this is the last Victoria and Amy interaction that will happen in this book? Um, yeah, since I've been rolling sevens recently, uh, yeah, I think this is the last Victoria Amy interaction of this book. I will say, uh, outside some epilogue thing, I agree with that. Okay, cool. And, and that's like, there might not even be an epilogue thing, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to go, go all the way and just say, no, this is it. This is it. All right. This is it. Okay. So Kenzie's off the table. Kenzie's off uh, the table. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised by a Kenzie Dark Horse play. Um, I would be very surprised by an Amy Dark Horse play. Yes. Um, so where where do we go from here? I don't know. <laughs> we go to the discussion questions. We go, we go to the discussion questions. What is your favorite example of love, any kind of love in parahumans? Um. Rid Tom talks about Victoria and Ashley. Rid Tom thinks that um, they have one of the strongest friendships in Ward. Ashley giving Victoria her apartment. Ashley feeling annoyed but grateful for Victoria's legal defense. Victoria giving her tips on how to hold herself as a hero and in costume design. Sharing a room together for months and just enjoying each other's company. Uh, Victoria admiring Ashley's resolve during the cradle arc. Ashley caring about Victoria's nightmares. Victoria describing Ashley as ascending, Victoria's utter restlessness and sense of loss from losing Ashley, and of course, raising Kenzie. Um, just kind of this, this list of all these beautiful moments that that exemplify their their friendship. Yeah. And, and they say even after Swan Song dies, Victoria still finds satisfaction in competing with Damsel and refusing to ab- abandon Damsel um, even when Sveta wants to. Yeah. And, and even if you, um, like I think independent of any, kind of romantic thing you want to layer onto this relationship. Um, I do agree that there was real love there, um, regardless of whether it's romantic love or just friendship love. Um, yeah. I totally agree with that. I, I like that their friendship was was sort of always in, in the background, um, but but it, it, all, all of those things that Rid Tom just listed were, were, were there. They were sketched out right there to be seen, you know? Yep, yep. So, yep. yeah. All right, so next we have Daedalus Fallen, who goes into the difference between the Taylor-Rachel and the Taylor-Brian relationships. Rachel's presence made early worm what it was, and Taylor's love for her allowed her to become the caring Aunt Rachel we know today. Taylor's relationship with Brian is, in a sense, failed. She's all over him, but very quickly they lose all connection they built up. Brian gets horrible PTSD, and Taylor starts to ignore him. Rough, rough, but true. <laughs> yeah. And, and the Daedalus Fallen went on to kind of draw this interesting lesson from this, which I definitely an interesting lens of basically saying that while Bo was sort of starting out and trying to figure out how to do these stories and um, the, the like wholesome and, you know, nourishing relationship with Aunt Rachel, with, with Rachel was something that he kind of then went on to elaborate on in his further stories and the kind of like will they won't they romantic tension relationship stuff was something that he did less and less over the course of his um of his stories yeah that's very uh, true yeah and, yeah i i think it is just like observationally pretty 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 accurate so yeah yeah um macy that's brings, elliot that's elliot uh brings us Kenzie's uh, future mom and dad, Dragon and Defiant. (laughs) 
their love and understanding of each other is perfectly encapsulated in the interlude at the end of Worm when Colin is able to trust that Pandora will sacrifice herself for Dragon. Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, will you please read it again in an Australian accent? I, I wish I could. Okay, fine. <laughs> Mate. Uh, Random Face Reddit says, Foil and Parian. I love the level of dedication that they show each other in Worm, so much so that Foil became a villain for Parian. Their relationship is so awesome and, and believable, and it'll never fall apart. Never. Never. And then Lostman138 says, Parian and Foil are examples of people who might be falling out of love. Oh, no. <laughs> I just, I had, I love that juxtaposition. Um, they, they say in Worm, the relationship was founded on two people seeking comfort in troubling times, and that relationship lasted around four or six years. And since then, it has become strained. Foil wanted to return to being a hero, and Parian wanted to stay put. Now the couple have hit a bump in the road, learning unpleasant things about each other. Um, it's... You know, I, I I place these next to each other for the obvious reason that they're both about Perrin and Foil, mm-hmm. um, but like both are true, right? Like the, mm-hmm. they they have this they have this great kind of love story in in Worm, and I think Ward is more about like okay, what happens after the honeymoon? Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, it things things get a little bit um, um, less easy, and uh, yeah. I, I do wonder where things are going to go with them. You know. I don't know. And I, I want to be hopeful and say that they're going to figure out a way through it. But, you know, sometimes people don't. Sometimes stuff like this drive them apart and they realize it's better to just not be together. Um, yeah. And that might be in the cards for them. And that's a bummer, but it's it happens. Yeah. So next we have No Goodbye, who says Aisha and Alec, a pair of goofballs that lightened up the tone of so many dark parts of the book and who are very important to each other, whether or not they were a romantic pair. Despite not being the best human being, Alec died because he cared about his friend and Aisha has honored their bond by taking care of his siblings. And as we talked about this week, Matt, take care of them very, very well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great answer. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Wanson talks about Victoria and Sveta's friendship. They say uh, they're perfect best friends, really. They have each other's backs, uh, but are comfortable enough with each other to call the other out when they're doing something stupid. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love those two. I really do. Um, I, I Like we were talking about this earlier, but I love that Victoria and Sveta have a really powerful, strong friendship and and Victoria and, and Ashley have a, a very powerful, strong friendship as well. And they are friendships rooted in different things. Mm-hmm. Um, Victoria and Sveta's friendship comes from the shared time in the hospital they had. That's like the base of it. And it's like built from there as the support for each other. Where Victoria and Ashley is, is, is based on, on different things they're both struggling with. But uh, it's, it's so interesting that like sometimes in your life you just have different people who you connect through different things about and who support you and, and uh, help you in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think Victoria and then Ashley have like this kind of friendly rivalry almost where mm-hmm. Sveta just doesn't have that in her makeup, really. She's not she's not a competitive person, really. Yeah. And so and, and it, this is this is the thing that makes Sveta and Ashley really not click that they, 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 they don't get each other. Sveta literally says, like, I never really was close to Ashley. Yeah. Um, and it's because they like the 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 Venn diagram of the two of them isn't very, uh, very strong, but. The Victoria sits right in the middle of it. So right, isn't that isn't that so fascinating how that works sometimes that mm-hmm. you can have a, a person who manages to connect perfectly with two different people that just don't connect with each other at all. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's happened. I've seen it a lot in my life, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. Yep. 
All right, next we have Allomancer, who goes with Dauntless, the only good parent in Parahumans. His love for Kelly and their child was able to supersede and transcend the power of the shards and force a trigger event into the backseat, and he continued to hold that same kind of concern, helpful attention for the most of the people we see him interacting with. His love comes with a strong element of trying to understand the people he loves and help them meet their own needs, whether it's his son, his teammates, or the wards under his care. In a way that we really don't see anywhere else in the entire story, Dauntless was motivated positively by a genuine care for others without a lot of the caveats we see with a lot of the other characters. That's a that's a really that's a really beautiful answer. And Dauntless, Matt, is really um a a, a plate that's still spinning. Uh-huh. And we don't know we don't know what's where's that gonna land. Like we don't I just mix metaphors like crazy there, that's but great. Yeah, I mean, we don't like this is something that is still definitely in play in our story and we haven't seen the 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 conclusion of of him yet. So like we I remain very curious about how he's going to he's going to mix into this whole thing. Yeah, we're going to have to see if that Hail Mary gets intercepted and leads to the uh, stars aligning. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Sarah Penguin says dot who faces down capes and then sneaks into Gimel and breaks into the warden's HQ just for a chance to save the goblins that she loves. Aww. Also, her outfits are cute. Also, she ate some Victoria. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's funny how that, that, uh, that scene was so intense and complicated for other reasons that you can just overlook that whole thing. Yeah. She's like ate a big chunk of Victoria there. I think she's got a taste, taste for Victoria now. I think so. Maybe just following her around going. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right, last but certainly not least, we got a, a answer from Jockin S, uh, who who actually commented on our website. You you don't just have to comment on Reddit if you don't use Reddit but want to answer these questions. You can email us or you can just comment on the website. You can do that too. We read those too. Anyway, um, Jockin says Dragon and Defiant, specifically Antenoral E.3. When I read Worm, my sister, who introduced me to the story, told me to skip this chapter, and I read it last. So E.3 is, for me, the ending of Worm. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. By this point, Colin had transformed from kind of a jerk who I liked anyway into a true hero, and Dragon is, in my opinion, the purest-hearted character in Parahumans. Colin steals himself to do the one thing he believes is unforgivable, and like a true anti-hero... Ask Dragon to give him permission to pull the trigger and choose which fate she would rather face. Um, yeah, I, that's like, that's a beautiful, I, I, I love that interlude chapter. Like, I'm surprised that your sister had you read them out of order, but also I get it. Cause I imagine, I'm imagining like that you closing the book on worm with the way that chapter ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm still puzzling through why exactly they would do that, but, um, it seems like it was a positive thing for you. So, sure, sure, so yeah. great. Yeah. Um, cool. Next week's discussion question is what is the end game? If not Amy, and hopefully this will not be a discussion question that is immediately solved in the chapter that is about to come out while we were sitting here recording this podcast. I, I don't think it's going to be, um, so have some fun. Let's you guys speculate. I'm tired of being wrong all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get a whole bunch of wrong answers that we can read out next week, but maybe, one right answer. Maybe. Maybe, maybe Wild Bill will answer this week. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do it. 
Uh, all right, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over at our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt's is moradinamail. Did, did I do it? You did it, yeah. You did. You you uh, you you put you you left the football there uh, this week. Took three years. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good Kingslingers reference. It's a Kingslingers reference, right there, folks. Um, if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you can find. What do, you, what do you want to talk about here? What do you want to talk about? What um, show do we want to talk about? Well, we're doing that new Kingslingers thing about the yeah, Stephen we King thing. That. Yeah, thing. we are on book two of The Dark Tower. Yep. Um, yeah, we just started. We just added the Methods of Rationality uh, discussion podcast. We want more to the Doof Network. That's <laughs> that's that's relatively new. And I was, I, oh yeah, I was actually a guest on that podcast uh, this yeah. week. So if you want to hear more of my voice. You don't then, get enough of Matt's voice, right? Yeah, I, I should hope not. Then, then go check that out. Um, I'm. It's basically like they're wrapping up like the first kind of like fifth of the book or quarter or something like that. And I came on to kind of guest on that wrap up discussion, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and you know, it maybe maybe you can like get your feet wet on that show by just checking out that episode. And then if you like how it goes, you could uh, dive the rest of the way in. How about that? That sounds like a great plan, Matt. And you can see those shows. All of them over at that website, doofmedia.com. In fact, if you just want to skip a step, doofmedia.com slash podcasts, and they're all just, it's just boom. They're Bam. right there. It's yeah. just all of them. Shake and bake. Um, okay. Yeah. And if that's you. Not, that's not the correct <laughs> usage. And if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia. Supporting us on Patreon at the $20 level uh, per month gets you uh, the power to force us to watch a movie or to read a short story of your choice and do an episode on it uh, in our other podcast, The Doofcast. Uh, it, as well as every other level, will also give you the ability to vote in our fan art and costume contests and, of course, the ability to participate in the excellent Discord chat. Yeah, and, and right now, as we are recording this, we are actually two patrons away from our next goal on Patreon, Matt, because we just keep wanting to do more things. Um, so we have a goal for a YouTube based show about video games that we need two more patrons for. Um, this is going to be something that's run by Elliot who made that amazing answer to our discussion question this week, uh, and also happens to know a little bit about video games. So if you want to see a little bit more about that, uh, head on over to the Patreon and this would be a great time to push us over the hump on that one. Just two more people. Just, that's it. Just two. Yeah. Just two of you. You could, it, it could be you. <laughs> um, and as always, make sure you go over to patreon.com slash Wildbo and donate to Wildbo because this is his world. We are just playing in it for, for at least one more month. We're at least playing one more month, it. nine, nine ish more episodes is, or not episode, whatever. Special thanks to new patrons this week. Bidoof's James G, Mathis K, Tamara R, John, Thomas, and Nat Natasha. And new doof dancer John P. Wow, a bunch of new people. Um, yeah, wonder if some of these folks are are coming from. We want more uh, possible possible. They might but be. They might not have listened to us reading their names here. We're still working on a way to do that. 
um, you won't be listening to this, so you don't care. But yeah. we're working on a way to, to do that because that's a new problem for us. For the, mo- for the most part, most of our patrons have been from the show. Yeah. But uh, we're quickly finding that not to be the case anymore. Yeah. Well, we appreciate y'all whether you're here from this show or any other. Yeah. Whether yeah. you can listen to this uh, saying that appreciation <laughs> or not. The, the appreciation is beamed out into the void. It is. It's like, a, it's like when Imp says it, um, you mm-hmm. might not hear it, but you salivate like like Pavlov's dog. Uh, If you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by sharing this podcast, sharing all of our podcasts, anything we do. If you like any of our shows, please, please share them with everyone you know. It really helps us. And of course, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Those reviews, honestly, folks, even here three years into this podcast, they still help. Um, The more you have, the more legit you are. And the more legit we are, the less likely we are to quit. Because when you get too legit, you can't quit anymore. I think I think that's I think we've done it. We've we've, <laughs> we've maxed out. Uh, that's all we've got for you this week. Next week is infrared finally over. Uh, in the next arc, uh, sorry, is the next arc the last one? Let's find out together. Or well, I mean, technically they'll find out like first, and then. Like a week later, we'll we'll talk about how we found out yeah. later. Yeah.